Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 493. To put it bluntly, uh, I, I really sucked at leadership in so many ways, and I thought I was great at it, and, and I wasn't. If you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, what would you say? Today's episode, sort of a version of Ebenezer Scrooge, or maybe It's a Wonderful Life, as we explore a new book from Dan Rockwell. Hi, I'm Jeff Brown, and this is the Read to Lead podcast, the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth. It's a place where I believe that intentional and consistent reading is key to success in your business and in your life. And to that end, we interview an author each week and talk about his or her latest book and their unique insights on a plethora of topics. Our guest today, I hinted at it a moment ago, is Dan Rockwell. He's co-written a book along with John David Mann called The Vagrant, The Inner Journey of Leadership, A Parable. I'll be asking Dan to share about why skills, talents, and drive are not enough to guarantee success, how the talents and strengths you have can deceive you when you lack self-awareness, how to combat the distorted assumptions we often have about other people's perceptions of us, and much, much more. going to be a truly enlightening discussion. I was thrilled last week to receive dozens of emails from people who had received a free book from me in the mail. Actually, it was sent to them courtesy Harper Collins. It's a new book by my friends Kyle Bucket and Chris Mefford called Leadership is Overrated. It's a book that me and over 100 other people are going to be reading together on into October. And then on October 12th, we are going to join together to discuss the book, not just with each other, but also with the authors, both Kyle and Chris, as our special guests. Now, even though you may not have received a free copy of Leadership is Overrated, I want to encourage you to pick up a copy. The book is out now and start reading it right away and plan on joining us on October 12th for that live session. It's happening at 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Zoom. And as I mentioned last week, there are two ways to stay updated on things like Zoom links and all that sort of stuff. You can go to my website, readtoleadpodcast.com and sign up for my email list. Just fill in the form at the top right of the page with your name and email address. It's that simple. Plus, you get a free resource just for doing that. You can also join us at jeffbrown.me and become the latest member of the Read to Lead community with a Read to Lead Plus membership. You get uh, to check it out for two weeks for free. And then after that, it's just $9 a month. In fact, it's inside the community where we'll be discussing the book between now and October the 12th when we're joined by Chris and Kyle. Again, that's jeffbrown.me and a Read to Lead Plus membership. Two weeks free after that, nine bucks a month. Otherwise, go to readtoleadpodcast.com and sign up for my email list and we'll see you on October the 12th. Dan Rockwell is the author of the highly recognized Leadership Freak blog. His concise and practical articles are read in every country on the planet. Inc. Magazine recognized Dan as the top 50 leadership expert in the English-speaking world and a top 100 speaker. 
The American Management Association lists Dan as a top 30 leader in business. His book is co-written with John David Mann, who also co-wrote books like The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. And even John himself appeared on the podcast a little over a year ago with his wife in episode 428 to talk about the book, The Go-Giver Marriage. Dan and John's new book together is called The Vagrant, The Inner Journey of Leadership. Well, Dan, I'm excited to have you here. I love business parables. I loved this one. It's really well done. We're not going to give away the story per se, but talk about uh, how to apply what we've learned from having read your book. Welcome officially to Read the League. Glad to have you here. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate you daring to expose me <laughs> to your audience. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, I'm excited to do exactly that. First, tell me a bit about Dale Marie. Yes. Well, Dale Marie is my wife. <laughs> And uh, we're high school sweethearts. Thanks for asking. No one's ever asked me about that. Met when we were 13 years old. Wow. And I don't believe in love at first sight, except for with me. And uh, I fell in love with my high school sweetheart. And uh, we've been married forever with uh, three kids. Oh, that's amazing. Any grandkids yet? Or We have six grandkids, uh, two in town, three that are about two and a half hours away and one in Paris. Wow. Which is a good excuse to... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Get over there right now then. Yeah. <laughs> well, let, let's dig into a bit of your blogging journey over the years. This blog that uh, many may be familiar with, but many may not, the Leadership Freak blog. What what inspired you to start that? What have you done over the years to, to grow it? Maybe some of the doors it's opened for you along the way. Well, I always thought I was a really great leader. I, I always thought I was great at everything. And uh, <laughs> I, I shouldn't say that. I avoided the things that I knew I wasn't good at. Anyway, I, I was confused. And uh, I got my MBA uh, late in life. Mm. And I've really started piquing my interest in Leadership Freak. Well, in leadership. And that's where Leadership Freak comes from, is mm. just an awareness that, to put it bluntly, uh, I, I really sucked at leadership in so many ways. And mm. I thought I was great at it. Mm. And I wasn't. So I just, I started writing for myself. I, I made a commitment to myself that I'd write five days a week for a year. I had no idea what that meant. None, <laughs> not a bit. And uh, I had written contracts and school papers and, you know, but never anything like that. Mm. And I said, if it gets traction, we'll, uh, you know, I'll keep doing it. And uh, I was so, so fortunate. I don't know exactly what it was, but I was so fortunate that it did get traction. And it changed our lives. About a year and a half in, I got my first invite to go speak. Mm. I came home that day from work. I was still working at the local Penn State affiliate here. And I told my wife, we can make money doing this. <laughs> and, you know, she laughed and I laughed and uh, it changed our lives. Mm. Uh, so I do, because of that, it, it has allowed me to meet people like you, mm. smart people all over the world. I'm so, so thankful. I had no idea. No idea. But the cherry on top for me is meeting smart people, learning mm. from them. And uh, so it really did change our lives. Mm. You know, there's something to be said for showing up every day and doing, <laughs> doing your work consistently, isn't there? I've certainly enjoyed some of that, having done this weekly for over 10 years now. And in that time, I've had the privilege to interview other authors of, of business parables over the years, uh, Bob Berg being one of them, uh, Andy Andrews, another, uh, your co-author, John David Mann and his wife a little over a year ago. When did you know you were going to write a new business parable? Yeah, interesting question, because if you look at Leadership Freak, it's uh, very tactile. It's like 
uh, you know, these are five ways to do this, four ways to do that. And actually, when I got into writing Leadership Freak, that was really my goal. Now, it has expanded to understand that leadership is about who we are, not just mm. what we do. Mm. But I had a story in my head for about 10 years uh, about a young fella who was, you know, all, you know, very confident and had lots of talent and doing very well, but yet uh, stumbles over himself and makes uh, blunders. Mm. Uh, and so when you read the story, Bob the main character. I've made all his blunders and more. My <laughs> list of blunders is very long. Uh, uh, so I had this story and I tried to write it a few times, but it it, it wasn't my forte. Mm. I'm much more of, I try to be punchy and direct and uh, writing a narrative style didn't work. I tried to write it. It was just terrible. Mm. And then one day I thought about, let someone in. Let someone, you know, yes. invite someone in. <laughs> and that changes your life. And that's where John David Mann mm. came. A couple of uh, commonalities there uh, between us. I let someone into the book writing process and published a book. At the time we're recording this, it'll be two years ago tomorrow when it published. Uh, and then the other thing is the overwhelming number of leadership blunders I've made throughout my career and, and still make. Easily the single most, uh, I think, important theme or lesson from the book is, is how not to be your own worst enemy or how not to stumble over yourself, as, as you put it. Why are, Dan, useful skills, talent, and, and drive not uh, guaranteed a success? I wish they were. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> right? Uh, but I think we can be blinded mm. by our strengths. And uh, the, the other side of that is we don't see ourselves like others see us. And leadership is about people. And, and so I look at others and I think they see the person, when they look at me, they see the person mm. I see. Mm. But they don't. And that really is, uh, that's just a weight. It's a, <laughs> it's a struggle. Uh, but we can be blind. We can also be blinded by our strengths. Uh, there's that. What's that saying? Uh, a boy with a hammer wants to smash everything. <laughs> and and so if you're great, if your strength is planning, your mm. solution to everything is planning. Mm. If your strength is coming up with ideas, your your solution is come up with ideas and continue to hone things. By the way, that was one of my blunders. Mm. Is I was always polishing. I was. I always had a new idea. And I happen to have a doer on my team who is fantastic. Mm. And one day I called him after a meeting, after we'd made a decision. I said, hey, what about this? He said, we made that decision. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> well, what of what those who, who might feel, and I know your co-author, John, once felt this way, that, that discussions of, of self-awareness and self-reflection in particular sound like, uh, to use your words, hippie talk. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that, that that comes from like hippie talk comes from, uh, of course, I was born in 56, right? I think yeah. it was. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, so, you know, you got the 60s and the 70s, but I lived in central Maine. So the, the kind of the hippie movement didn't reach Maine until the 80s and I was already gone. Ah. But uh, <laughs> but, you know, we sort of like hippie talk. It was like, you know, all those people that smoke dope and they want to hug trees and they want to sit on, you know, they want to like free love and all of that. Yeah. And, and so for, for me personally, and I find for many leaders who are like no nonsense, let's get her done sort of people, mm. 
we don't want to talk about the softer side of self-awareness, knowing yourself, emotional intelligence, which now we know the research is saying, once you get to a certain level in an organization, your skills that you learned all the way through, they're not really as nearly as relevant as your relationship building skills. Mm. You talked a little bit about this. I'd love for you to maybe explore a little more deeply uh, about how, how, how talents and strengths, the ones you have, can deceive you when you lack self-awareness, uh, but also the impact of talents and strengths you think you have, but, but you don't. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll use myself as illustration. I imagine all of us have overused a strength, right? So I'm, I, you know, I see, I see this place to go. I'm driven to go do it. I'm ready to go do whatever it is. And you just bowl over people. You know, you talk to, again, you know, go back to one of the people in my life who was just great at uh, getting stuff done and, you know, just fantastic. And I bring up something, I got this idea and let's go and I'm visionary. And, and it's like, he he just seems to me like a foot dragger, but he's not. He taught me I have to see the path forward, at least some, before I can commit my energy to do something, because doers don't like to start anything that they don't finish. Now, if you're a visionary person, you think that's how the world works. Every, you know, you, you you dangle out the vision and everybody's like uh, mice after cheese. It's awesome. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. No, no. There's a lot of really smart people who look at the world differently. Hmm. So it, it can really be a, a hindrance when you're really strong in one area and, and you aren't able to understand how you come off to other people. Now, that's such a, a great story and a wonderful distinction. That so many of us get, get wrong for far too long. Um, I know there's some research on this next question I want to ask. And, and when I think in terms like talent and, and strengths, I, I kind of lump them into the same category. But uh, the research says there's a difference uh, between the two. Why is it important that we understand what those differences are? Well, it, it is important because uh, skills or you know, strengths can be developed. You can get better at them. Uh, talent is really what you're born with. You you come out of the womb with uh, an aptitude or a way. Mm. It doesn't mean we there's there's a lot of flexibility in how we grow for sure. But uh, you you're born with certain aptitudes and dispositions. We have two granddaughters who live just uh, you know ten miles from here, and they have the same parents. They're in the same home, and one of them is like a firecracker. And one of them is very contemplative, right? Mm. She, you know, she contemplates things. Uh, she's more of an introvert. One of them is an extrovert. So you have a ta you have talents, things that just uh, float your boat. You love doing, and you want to keep doing them, and, and you enjoy it. By the way, it's Gallup's work on this mm -hmm. uh, that I rely on here. And then uh, strengths are things that you can develop and get better at. And uh, you, we shouldn't let things hold us back mm -hmm. from, you know, learning, obviously. I, I always bristle a bit when somebody says, well, you know, I know I'm supposed to be doing that, but that's just not me. Mm -hmm. No, probably we should learn how to do that. And we can. <laughs> There's a lot of flexibility there. We've talked a little bit about how other people perceive you, and it's not necessarily <laughs> often how we perceive our, ourselves. They're not seeing the same person or the person we like them to see. 
how can we combat what otherwise might be distorted assumptions about other people's perceptions of us and, and responses to us? I guess another way of asking that would be, you know, we might suspect we're in a situation where we think we have deep relationships, but they're actually not deep. They're, they're, they're shallow. Um, wonderful, wonderful question, Jeff. And, uh, uh, you know, the vagrant and that story is about a fellow who thinks he has good relationships and come to find out there's a saboteur on the team. It's so funny. <laughs> Other people see us better than we see ourselves sometimes. Mm. Which leads me to say one way to deal with this issue is to, let's use that phrase again, bring the outside in, seek feedback, listen to patterns. So I had people telling me, Dan, you're pushy. <laughs> now, they didn't always say that in those direct words. Right. And, and I remember I had someone on the team, uh, I was seeking feedback. And I think this is important because if you want to know how you're perceived by others, you've got to go to others and get their feedback on it. Mm-hmm. And I sat with a team and I asked them very specific questions. And one of the women on the team said, you can be pushy. I still didn't get it. (laughs) I was having, it must've been two weeks later, I was having a conversation with a person and this woman happened to be in my peripheral vision. And she was going like that. She was like giving me this look of that's pushy. Mm. And it was the first time, because I didn't feel like that's what it was, but it was the first time I saw it. And boy, that's so powerful. Mm. Well, that then I would assume means that as we go through this kind of self-discovery process, you're saying, let's not do that alone, right? Let's, let's involve other people along the way because doing it alone is, is not going to get the results that we, we, we think it will. Brilliant observation. And I think the first time this dawned on me was in 2011. Mm. And I had had three conversations in two months that really changed my life. I didn't know they would until I had the third one. The Mm. first one was with the former CEO of Southwest Airlines. When I said, what's your favorite advice? He said, I I like to tell people to be yourself. I was completely underwhelmed. (laughs) It's the most underwhelming advice I thought I'd ever heard. What's the point? And then I had a conversation with Francis Heschelbind, Presidential Medal of Freedom winner, CEO of the Girl Scouts. And uh, she said, uh, my definition of leadership is leadership is a matter of how to be, not how to do. That means nothing to me. (laughs) It's like it freaks me out. And it's still, I still just want to say, tell me the five things to do. (laughs) Then I had a conversation with Harry Kramer from Baxter Pharmaceutical. He was the CEO of Baxter. And he said, uh, he taught me about self-reflection practice. Hmm. That brought those conversations together. Be yourself. Leadership is about how to be. And how do you do that? (laughs) Well, and I think the way to do that is to engage in structured self-reflection. Don't just sit under a tree contemplating the meaning of life. You know, Hmm. navel gazing is not the answer. By the way, Nothing wrong with, you know, meditating and quieting your mind, all of that. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about structured self-reflection. You know, the book encourages us, uh, Dan, to reflect, as you were just saying, on the on the problems that we face. When it comes to working through this specific part of the book's advice, why is it important to think about all of this, not as a problem-solving strategy, but but more like a strategy for growing through your problems. 
Yes. You know, I love to use this word grow through because it has that authentic become your best self sort of feel. Mm. There is a, a mode of like, well, that's just me. I'm being authentic. And to me, that borders on indulgence. Mm. I, I want to become my best self. Yeah. And growing through is to me not just learning techniques, but noticing what I bring to that and how it changes me when I go through that and what kind of person I'm becoming. Sometimes I'll ask the leaders I work with, uh, what is this, who is this challenge calling you to become if it had a voice? Mm. You know, if, if, you know, they're, they have personnel problems, they have, you know, all kind, you know, these, you know, these people that I work with have real problems and uh, you know, it, that problem is a way of seeing yourself and becoming your best self. You know, I really appreciated the reflections section at the end of the book. And it's largely because of that section, I've been able to sort of dig into what we learn from reading a book like this without asking you about any of the characters, without asking about any of the story. You've shared a little bit about that. But that's always a, a little bit of a nuanced, a, a difficult thing to do, because I certainly don't want to give any of that away. Uh, it's, it's, it's something I want the reader to discover for themselves. So thank you for that. Most of my questions you know, came right out of that, that section at the end that enabled me to kind of pull from that uh, easily. So I appreciate that about it very much and love that it's structured that way. I think it, it makes for a, an even more powerful business parable, if you will. Anything I've not asked with regard to the book and, and what you want folks to get from it? Uh, that you want to make sure we know about or walk away with? Yeah, I, I, I really want leaders to go ahead and see themselves in the story. And the feedback we're getting is uh, I, I saw myself in the story, not everything. And you know that it's dramatized. And mm. people ask me, is this your story? And, and well, sort of. But right. you know, not it's <laughs> it's uh, it's made up. But it you know, like I said, all those things like uh, Bob, the main character, is pushy. Well, right. I got a, I I know a lot about about that, you know, <laughs> and that part of my journey. So yeah. I think uh, asking me you know about how much of that is actually my story versus made up, and uh, the answer to that is I'm I'm not telling. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm glad I didn't make that one of my questions. <laughs> um, I know you love to read. You're an avid reader. I would imagine you probably read a fair amount of fiction in, in addition to nonfiction, probably. Over the course of, of your life and career, Dan, what are the two, maybe three books that, that stand out to you as having had a big impact? Yes. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, the Bible would be one of those books. And uh, the book of Proverbs in particular, which mm. is the wis part of the wisdom literature and the Hebrew scripture. Yeah. Love the book of Proverbs. And then uh, uh, I got one of the earlier editions of the Leadership Challenge by Kuzis and Posner. It gives you a structure for leading. It hit me at the right time. And I always recommend if people say, Dan, what books do you recommend? I'll ask them, uh, well, have you read the Leadership Challenge? Right. Okay. Because it gives you the structure. I think it's, uh, let me see if I can get this, model the way, inspire shared vision, challenge the process, enable behaviors, and encourage the heart. Mm. And, and so that structure really helped me because I thought I understood leadership and I didn't. So that book is, uh, I, I always recommend that book. I'd be curious to know how you, as, as a leadership blog writer and, and other things that you're involved in, 
When it comes to knowledge that you collect and gather, how do you make sure that that knowledge, that new knowledge doesn't slip through your fingers, has the opportunity to you know, serendipitously crash into already existing knowledge, those, those sorts of things? What, what are some of your practices there? Right. Thanks for asking that. There's a lot to be said about this. Mm. Um, as you know, you, you're doing something regularly, consistently, and that always helps. I do read broadly. I read poetry right now. I read several books at the same time, and I'm not in a rush to finish any of them. (laughs) And I've given myself permission. If something loses interest for me, I set it aside. Maybe I'll pick it up later. Maybe I won't. Yeah. But I'm I'm reading Robert Frost right now. Robert Frost, I forget the title of the poem, but it's uh, I say poem, you say poem. Uh, (laughs) I'm a New Englander. We say poem. But it's a poem where the line is. Uh, good fences make good neighbors or strong fences make good neighbors. Mm. Everybody says, you know, hey, we need boundaries. We need boundaries. Actually, the poem is Robert Frost saying, my neighbor thinks that, and I think he's kind of nuts. Why are we building this fence? So uh, I'm also currently reading uh, The Midnight Library. I don't know if you've heard of it or not. A friend of mine recommended it. And uh it's uh, kind of interesting. I'm only about 70, 80 pages in on that. I read about writing every day uh, and sometimes reread about uh, writing. I'm currently, for the first time, reading Writing Down the Bones mm. uh, by Natalie Goldberg. That's awesome. My favorite, favorite author in the 20th century is uh, E.B. White. And I try to read E.B. White. I don't read him every day, but I read. I read him regularly mm. and his essays. He wrote Charlotte's Web and uh, and uh, uh, Stuart Little. But I read his essays and he wrote for The New Yorker and, and all of that. When, when I have an idea, which is so often unexpected, driving mm. to the gym or whatever, I capture it on my phone. Mm. So I have this long list of ideas and I just jot them down. Occasionally, I'll go back and I'll look. I have a gazillion blog titles and <laughs> blogs that is called potential posts. I'd be working on something and I'll have this because I have a short attention span and I'll mm-hmm. have this idea of something else. Look, there's a chipmunk. <laughs> and if I'm not careful, I'll go chase that. Yeah. So I write it down. I save it in this folder called potential posts. Sometimes it's just one sentence. Sometimes it's a paragraph. And I'm able to you know, keep the you got to pour in more than you pour out, right? That's right. That's just right. an unalterable law of energy. Yes, yes. I think, too, at the same time, you have to be very selective with what you pour in. In my note-making mastery cohort, we talk about this concept of selective ignorance and, and also the joy of missing out versus the fear of, of missing out. And that if you are consuming some piece of content but not taking notes on it, I encourage people to ask, well, why are you consuming that content? It's, it's certainly okay to just consume something for the entertainment value, certainly. But if you're consuming for learning and for growth and you're not taking notes, that, that information is going to be here today, gone tomorrow. And you've got to, you've got to have a way to, to capture it. Here's how I decide, define a good book. A mm. good book helps me think my own thoughts. So I'm always writing mm. in the books. And uh, sometimes the comments I write in the books have nothing to do with the book. You know, I'm just, it's just like sparks of the thing. And I loaned a book. I have a book called Humilitas. Humility is one of my favorite topics. Mm. 
and uh, that I know nothing about, but I want to learn about. Anyway, I have on my shelf uh, a book called Humilitas, which is about humility. And it's got tons of notes in it. And I loaned it to a guy I was working with uh, who happens to be local. And uh, when he gave it back, I'd forgotten about all the notes. And uh, when I when he gave it back, he said, I think I learned a lot about you. <laughs> oh, that's great. And I love that concept of, of reading a book helps you think your own thoughts. I, I think that's very, very powerful. Uh, and, and again, something that, that we try to unpack in, in the Note Making Mastery uh, course. There's really not a whole lot new under the sun. Most of what we do when we consume the content of others, and then we create something out of the knowledge that we, we're just remixing. Everybody's remixing. And, and I like that sort of d- description uh, of what I would call remixing there. That's, that's fantastic. You, you mentioned books on, on writing. Uh, have you read any of, uh, I think is, is it William Zinser? Have you read any of his oh, work oh. on writing? Zinser is sitting right over here uh, <laughs> uh, on writing well by yes. uh, William Zinser, right? Yes. I have the anniversary edition. Ah. And uh, he has another book called writing to learn. That's sitting right beside that. Uh, yeah. He's Zinser's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah have both of those books myself as well. Well, uh, Dan's uh, new book, which is officially coming out today, the day this episode's being released, is called The Vagrant, The Inner Journey of Leadership. Dan, this has been a treat. Thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate you being here. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate the opportunity. I love it when leadership messages are packaged in a story, as is the case with this book. But like I said, during the interview, I also like it when all of those lessons are neatly packaged for you at the end. It makes it so much easier. I recommend this book to you. Again, it's called The Vagrant. I hope you'll check it out. Again, it officially releases today, September 19th. Some upcoming conversations I'm excited to tell you about include books like Manage Like a Mother, Leadership Lessons Drawn from the Wisdom of Mom, that with Valerie Cockrell, Read This or Die, Persuading Yourself to a Better Life from Ray Edwards with Jeff Goins. The book I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, Leadership is Overrated, written by Chris Mefford and Kyle Bucket. Also, The Point by Steve Woodruff, The Family First Entrepreneur by Steve Chow, and Autonomous Transformation, Creating a More Human Future in the Era of Artificial Intelligence, that by Brian Evergreen. All that and more is on the way between now and the end of the year. I hope you'll come back week after week. Oh, and next week we'll be hearing from Matt Abrahams as we talk about his book, Think Faster, Talk Smarter, How to Speak Successfully When You're Put on the Spot. That's next time on the Read to Lead podcast. That does it for this week. Hope to see you next time. Until then, as always, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read.